Well, it's, it's great to, to be together this morning, and it's great to be able to take some time just to, to worship God and to fix our eyes on Him. Um, those of you who um, are around regular will know we've been taking some time to, to go through a series looking at the book of Proverbs called Words to Live By. Um, and the whole idea with, with Proverbs is that they condense down people's experiences, they condense down people's wisdom into short, pithy sayings that are easy to remember and that help us to live life skillfully. And that they help us to make good decisions and to, to handle our lives well. And Proverbs aren't anything unique. Pretty much every religion, every culture has their own Proverbs. Some of the kind of Proverbs of, uh, of our modern day that you'll be familiar with are, are things like, Two wrongs don't make a right. Or it's better to be late than never. Not sure that's a particularly great one to live by, but it's better to be late than never. Or um, hope for the best, but plan for the worst. You know, those are the kind of proverbs that we, we're familiar with in our world. They're general principles that can help us to live life skillfully. But when it comes to the proverbs in the Bible, they are even better than good advice. Because this is advice directly from God and to us. This is advice that is designed not just to help us to, to kind of live life in a good way and to, to kind of make sure we make good decisions and all of the rest of it, but to help us to really be wise, to help us to skillfully live God's way, not just man's way, but God's way. It's wisdom that leads us to the life that knows the greatest blessing. And we all want a blessed life, don't we? No matter where we're at, no matter what we believe, no matter what we, we think in terms of Jesus or anything else, we all want a blessed life. And so it's worth paying attention to. It's worth putting into practice. It's, it's worth kind of having this understanding of Proverbs and what it is that God speaks to us to help us to skillfully live life his way. And if that's what this is all about, it's all about kind of living skillfully God's way, then it's worth thinking about what kind of things our lives are made up of. So I've got a few statistics for you. You can take these with a bit of a pinch of salt. They're just off of Google, so I'm not promising they're completely accurate, for, but they give you a bit of an idea. So according to Google, if we go on to the next one, the average person will spend 3,298 hours of their lives eating and drinking. Yeah, 32,000. Did I? No, 32,000. I meant to say 32,000. That's a lot, a lot of time, isn't it? I find it hard to believe. But, you know, that sounds like a pretty good way to spend your time compared to the next one. When the average person will also spend 43,680 hours waiting in queues or lines or stuck in traffic. That's just over five years of your life. That's a bit depressing, isn't it? Five years of your life stuck waiting around. The same average person will spend 59,150 hours watching TV. But none of that compares to this. None of that compares to the fact that they'll spend 161,720 hours working. Whether that's in paid work or as a student in school or college, whether that's doing the washing up or DIY around the house, different kinds of housework, in one way or another, the average person will spend 
161,720 hours of their life working. That's average, which means that some of you spend a lot more than that, which is an amazing and slightly crazy thought, isn't it? It's a lot of time. You know, but as we look through the book of Proverbs, what we find is that God is just as interested in helping us to skillfully live his way in our work as he is in every other area of our lives. God gives us wisdom not only for how we're to be on a Sunday morning, but for a Monday morning too. And and I don't know how you feel about your work. It might be that you love what you do. Or it might be that actually you really just see it as a means to an end. It's a necessary kind of evil that you have to do in order to pay the bills. Or it might be that it's a necessary evil that you have to do just to keep the house clean and the washing pile down and food on the table. You've got to do it. But it's not a lot of fun. But as we, we try and, and discover how to, to skillfully live God's way when it comes to our work, what we find in the book of Proverbs is that the work that we do matters. It is valuable and it counts for something. It's important to God. Whether that's paid work or voluntary, whether that's at school or it's around the house, whether you're retired or whatever stage of life you're in, the things that we work at, the things that we pour our lives into and spend that huge significant amount of time on matter to God and they are bigger than we often realize. If you want to delve into this a little bit more, I've got a a book that I read years ago, which is a fantastic little book by a guy called Mark Green called Thank God It's Monday. Um, If uh, if you want to borrow that, I've only got one copy, but if you're the first person who asked me for it, then you you can borrow it and you're, you're welcome to it. It's a great little read. Before we zoom in, though, to look at the book of Proverbs and what it kind of says, let's just take a step back and understand how work fits into God's big picture. Because that helps us to make sense of what it is that Proverbs really says. You see, if we're not careful, and I can be as guilty of this as as anybody, what happens is that we can end up being influenced by our culture and by the people around us in the way that we think about work. And what happens then is that we can end up seeing work pretty negatively as something that we have to endure to get what we want or what we need, and as something that, if we can, we'll avoid. And there's nothing unusual in this. There's nothing unique about it. This is the way that that work has been seen for for thousands of years. If you look back at the ancient Greeks, they believed that, uh, that work was something that the gods had given to the people in order to oppress them and to keep them pushed down, and that it was some kind of punishment from God. And if that you were rich enough, you should avoid it entirely. And if you couldn't avoid it entirely, then you should do everything you could to make sure that all you had to do was work with your mind, because working with your hands, that was just for the lowly. That was for the people stuck down at the bottom. Work was something to be avoided. And so this whole kind of idea of, of seeing work negatively is not just something new to us today. It's been around for, for thousands of years. It's the kind of common way that work was viewed the whole time that the Bible was written. And so it's radical then that when you open the pages of the Bible, it doesn't reflect that, but it gives us a completely different view. We find that work is God's idea. 
In fact, not only is, is it God's idea, we find that God himself is a worker. And that he sees work as good. When we're first introduced to God, he is at work. He's creating. You know, and then as we, we get to Genesis 2, we discover that not only does God work with his mind, not only does he speak things into being as he creates, but actually he's willing to get his hands mucky as he sticks his hands into the dirt of the earth and he shapes out of the clay man. He gets dirt under his fingernails. And then God places Adam and Eve in the garden. And the first thing that he does is he gives them a job description. The first thing that he does is he gives them work to do. He says you're to be fruitful and to multiply. He says you're to subdue the earth and rule over it. He says you're to work the garden and keep it and take care of it. You see, our God is a worker and he created us to work. Work is good. In fact, not only is work good, but I would say that work is sacred. As followers of Jesus, we can't, as we just, is natural and kind of happen so easily, we can't separate out our work from our faith. Because being a worker is part of who God is and it's part of what he has for us. Every single follower of Jesus has a calling from God to work. No matter what stage of life you are at, no matter whether you're a, a, a child or a teenager or a student in college or whether you're in your retirement. And the work that God has for you to do is sacred. It's valuable to God. It's important to him. Whether you work in an office or on a building site, whether you're at school or you volunteer somewhere or you're serving in church somehow or your work's in your home, whether it's caring for your parents or for your children, the work that you do matters. It is valuable to God and it is designed to be a blessing to you. God created us to experience the joy of productivity, of achieving things. He created us to experience the joy of creativity, of making things. And that is only possible through working in some way. And you might be sat there thinking, that sounds all really nice and ideal and I'd love it if that was that way, but it's just not my experience of work. My experience of work is not that it's a blessing. My experience of work is that it's hard. My experience of work is that it's tiring and quite frankly, sometimes my experience of work is just that it's boring. Work is not something that I would choose to do if I could avoid it. And I get that. And I've had days when I felt like that. And I've sat in the office and that's the last place that I want to be. But you know, that doesn't mean that work is bad. What it means is that work is broken. You see, when we look at Genesis 1 and 2, we see work as it's meant to be. But in Genesis 3, that all changes. Man and woman decide that they don't want to do things God's way. They don't want to skillfully live the way that God intended them to. They want to take things into their own hands and go their own way and do what they want. They want to be in charge. And so they break the one rule that God had given them to live by and told them not to do. And as a result of that, work becomes cursed. 
It's broken. God says to them, from now on, your work won't be easy. From now on, work is going to be a battle. From now on, you're going to have to fight with the thistles and the thorns. From now on, there's going to be obstacles all along the way that you've got to overcome. From now on, when you want to try and be productive, when you want to try and achieve anything, it's going to take, only going to be done by the sweat of your brow. From now on, if you want to provide for your family, if you want to produce food, if you want to do the essential tasks that you need to do around the home, it is going to take toil and it is going to take labor. And often that's much closer to our experience of work, isn't it? We have bosses that are difficult and that demand things of us. We have piles of clothes and we wash them And before they're even dry, the wash basket's full again. You know, we know the experience of work being toil and labor is something that wears us down when the computer doesn't work as it's meant to, when the emails go missing, when the customers are unreasonable, when the children just won't do what you've asked them to do. When the DIY project, as it always seems to, has some kind of thing that you didn't plan for that just takes it and makes it such more difficult. You know, it's rare for us to set about any kind of work without coming across some kind of obstacle or challenge, isn't it? Without there being some kind of toil or labor or difficulty. And work is hard, so it can wear us down. It can tire us out. And that's just as much the case if it's a paid job as it is if it's voluntary or as it is if it's something that you're doing around the home. And so work is good, but it's broken. And this is the reality then that Proverbs starts to speak into. That's the context, that's the understanding of work that, that Proverbs begins to speak into to help us when that background to begin to skillfully live God's way when it comes to our work. Proverbs warns us that because work is broken, each of us have a tendency to approach our work in broken ways. We tend to either want to avoid work or to be workaholics. We either look at work and say, work's hard, it's toil and it's labor and I don't like it and so I am going to do the minimum possible because why would I put myself through that? Or we look at work and say, I want to achieve this. And work is hard and there's all these obstacles, but I'm going to overcome them. I'm going to be driven. I'm going to succeed. I'm going to make it happen. And when it comes to avoiding work, Proverbs talks a lot about what it calls the sluggard. It's a great word, isn't it? It's not a word I kind of use in everyday language. It's probably not one you've come across in conversation, but it comes as this great image, doesn't it? You just picture this slug of a person that's kind of just sat there and all it does is eat and it just doesn't really achieve anything. That's what the word's getting at. It's a description of someone who's, who's lazy. This is what it says in Proverbs 26, verses 13 to 14. It says, a sluggard says... There's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. And what this is really all about is avoiding work through making excuses and avoiding work through procrastination. 
Now, if you can imagine the sluggard there turning on his bed, this is an approach to life where you know what you need to do. You know what you need to be getting on with, but you just keep putting it off. You kind of roll over in bed and you hit the snooze button for the 25th time and you kind of hide under the sheets from what it is that you know needs to be done. This is about putting off what we know really needs to be done in the now. Um, I remember when um, Rosie and I first got married and we used to argue over the most ridiculous and silly little things, um, like washing up. Anybody had an argument over washing up? There'd be this job that needed to be done and, um, and it was bothering Rosie and she would want me to do it and she'd ask me to do it and I'd say, yeah, happy to do it, but I don't want to do it now. I want to, I don't want to leave it for her. I'm happy to pull my weight, but I don't want to do it in this moment. Let's, let's leave it till later in the evening. Let's leave it till maybe tomorrow morning. Let's leave it until that moment when I can't ignore it or avoid it anymore. And um, the fact that that wasn't good enough for Rosie, she wanted it done straight away. That kind of annoyed me sometimes. And we'd end up kind of clashing. But actually, do you know, if we get into the habit of putting off the things that need to be done in the now, of avoiding our responsibilities, we get into a bad habit. And if we allow that habit to build and to become part of, of the way we approach things, it begins to affect every other area of our lives. That habit that we're building to put off and avoid the things that we don't like the things that are uncomfortable, the things that we don't enjoy. And when it becomes a habit, then when we're challenged on it, we start to make excuses and to justify ourselves. Now that's what we, what's going on in, in, in the Proverbs, like the slugger who says, you know, I can't possibly go out to work. There's a lion on the road. There's lions roaming the streets of the town. I can't go out. I've got to stay at home. Sorry, boss. It's ridiculous. There's no lying in the middle of the town. It's just an excuse to be able to avoid doing what it is that needs to be done. You know, I googled excuses um, not to go to work, and literally hundreds of websites exist to help you to come up with excuses so that you can avoid your work. There's even a website, I'm not recommending you go to it, but there's even a website where people are there to help you with it to such an extent that if you sign up, they will text you at the time of your meeting so that, you can, that you've got a family emergency so that you can say to your boss, I'm sorry boss, I've got to go home. And you know this is starting to become a problem when you start spending the time and energy on coming up with excuses that you could be putting into actually getting something done. So one of the ways that we approach our work that Proverbs warns us against is that we simply try to avoid it. We're focused on having an easy life, on being comfortable, on having putting in the least effort, enjoying leisure and entertainment. But the other danger that Proverbs warns us against is the danger of becoming too driven and too work-focused. Proverbs 23 verses 4 and 5 says, it says, Do not wear yourself out to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. 
when your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. And what this is saying is that when we become so focused, when we become so driven to achieve, this isn't just about getting money and being rich, but so focused on being driven to achieve, to succeed, to have security, to have recognition, to meet particular needs or to get a particular grade in college, so much so that we wear ourselves out chasing after it, that we're heading into problems. We're heading into problems because the things that we're chasing after, even if we get them, can quickly disappear. We're spending our lives on things that are temporary. And while we need to avoid being like the sluggard, we need to work hard and be diligent and use our time well. We also need to know when to desist. We need to know when to stop. To switch off from the emails and to unplug from the office. To switch off from the deadlines and the expectations that other people have of you, or maybe even you have of yourself. We need to have times when we stop. Because otherwise our whole identity and our sense of worth becomes wrapped up in our work and what it is that we do. And our success or our lack of it. We need to have time to stop to remind ourselves again that our world of work doesn't all rest on our shoulders, but actually it rests on God's. And we can trust him with it. That God has called us to rest just as much as he's called us to work. We need to know where to draw the line and to say, right now, that's my capacity. That's as much as I can take on. That's as much as is wise for me to be doing. We need to be discerning enough to desist. To know when to stop so that we don't wear ourselves out with how driven we are to achieve. So if these are the things that Proverbs warns us are the kind of broken ways that we approach work, what does it tell us about how we can approach work skillfully living God's way. And to be honest, it's pretty simple stuff. It's not rocket science. This is is basic. Proverbs calls on us to be people who work hard and to be people of integrity. This is what it says, Proverbs 10 verse 4 says, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. And Proverbs 11 verse 1 says, the Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. So we're to work hard and we're to be people of integrity. And we begin to realize why Proverbs calls us to to this kind of way of living, this way of approaching our work, when we look at how work is spoken about in the rest of the Bible. In Ephesians, when when Paul is is talking and he's writing to people who are slaves, these are, are people who are forced to do their jobs forced to do work that they don't like and they don't want to be doing. They're often mistreated. And he writes this in Ephesians 6, verse 7. He says, work with enthusiasm, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Paul tells us, work hard, be people of integrity, because in the work that you do, you're not just working for your company or for your boss or to earn money for your family or recognition for yourself. You are working 
for Jesus. As you wash the dishes at home, you are working for Jesus. As you dig the garden, you are working for Jesus. As you study for your exams, you are working for Jesus. As you go to the office, you are working for Jesus. No matter if we're self-employed or we have a, a line manager or we're retired, Jesus is our boss. We never have a time when we get to just work for ourselves. And if we are lazy with our work or we lack integrity in our work, what does that say about our service to God? And when we get hold of the fact that Jesus is our boss, that everything that we do, really, we do for him, we discover that no matter what our work is, we have amazing opportunities. It doesn't matter if we're stacking shelves in a supermarket, we have amazing opportunities. Because when we work to the best of our ability, when we give all that we've got, when we're people of integrity in our work, we're bringing God pleasure. And I just want to focus on two of the great opportunities that we, we have with our work. Two things that I think can have the opportunity to bring our work purpose. Two things that I think have the opportunity to give us a fresh vision as for our work. As something for us to, to be excited about, no matter what our job is. Whether it's paid or voluntary, whether it's serving the family. When we make Jesus our boss, our work becomes worship. And our work becomes mission. Our work becomes worship. And our work becomes mission. When we approach our work with wisdom, when we commit ourselves to skillfully living God's way with our work, it becomes worship. One of the things that struck me years ago, and I've never forgotten, is the fact that in Hebrew, in the language that the Old Testament is written in, the word for worship and the word for work are one and the same. They have no different words for it. It's the word avodah. And so when we look at, at our work, when our activity is something which is devoted to God, it is a work or an activity of worship whether that's singing songs like we've done this morning in church or whether it's mowing the lawn. And so as we devote our activity, as we devote our work to God by working hard, by giving everything we've got, by being people of integrity, by standing for what's right, we have the opportunity in everything that we do 24-7 to be actively worshipping God. And when we begin to see our work, when we begin to see our activity in this kind of a way, and when we begin to see the way that we spend, you know, 161,000 hours of our lives, in this kind of a way, it changes everything. It gives what we do meaning and purpose. It gives us a reason to do our best, even when no one's watching. Even when the people around us aren't doing their best. Because we're not working for our boss and we're not working for ourselves. We're working for the Lord as an act of worship. As we grow in our understanding of how God is involved in every moment of our lives, in every moment we have, 
then we know that in every moment we've got the opportunity to worship him. And when we begin to get that, it changes everything. It changes our whole perspective on work. But we're called to work hard and to be people of integrity, not only because our work is worship, but also because our work is mission. You know, when we approach work with wisdom, committed to living skillfully God's way, then in the midst of our work, there are always opportunities for mission. You know, one of the reasons that your work has value, one of the reasons that your work matters to God is because of the people that you work with that matter to him. Sometimes God puts you in a situation and he gives you a job and he gives you work to do and it's less about the work and it's more about the people that it causes you to come into contact with. Paul gets something of this because he says in 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 11 and 12, he says, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live. And you will not need to depend on others. How we approach our work matters because people are watching us. Whether we like it or not, we all people watch. We know it happens, we know it goes on, and we watch just as much as anybody else. And in the attitudes that we have, and the way that we work, we have an opportunity to put Jesus on display whether that's with colleagues in the office or with family members or neighbors on the street, whether it's customers that we go to or friends, in the 161,000 hours we spend working, there is an opportunity for our work and the way that we approach it with our, our work ethic and our integrity, not just to lead to our own promotion and our own recognition and pay rises and all the rest of it, but to appoint people to Jesus. And one of the radical ways that I think we can try to approach work like this is by putting into practice something that Jesus said. And I want us to, to think about this, and this will be familiar to a, to a lot of you, but I want you to think about this, not generally, but in the context of your work. You'll probably um, be familiar with the idea, with the saying of, of, to do with going the second mile. And that comes from something that Jesus said. Um, In Jesus' day, a a Roman centurion was allowed to ask any non-Roman citizen, not ask, force any non-Roman citizen to carry their packs, to carry their bags and things one mile in any direction they wanted. didn't matter if the person was going that way or what they were doing, any direction they wanted to carry their bags one mile. And, And this meant that when people saw Roman soldiers packing up and getting ready to go somewhere, they'd scatter because they wouldn't want to be forced to have to do that. And so Jesus takes this situation that everybody in his day is familiar with. Because he's not speaking largely to Roman citizens, he's speaking to the Jews. And so they would have been people who'd been put through this. So they get what Jesus is is talking about. And he's speaking to these people, and he says in Matthew 5 verse 41, he says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. And this would have seemed shocking to the people who were listening. We're familiar with it, we just kind of get it. But you can imagine them thinking as he says this, look, Jesus, surely you mean if someone forces me to go one mile, then I should do it with a good attitude. 
I should do it with a smile on my face. I should do it without grumbling or complaining because that's what everybody else does. That would make me stand out. That would be different. Surely, Jesus, that's enough because that's challenging in itself. I'm not going to be feeling like it. And yet Jesus turns around and he says, no. No. I want them to see something in you. At the end of one mile, at that moment that they turn to you and say, okay, you can put the bag down now. I want you to say no. I want to volunteer to carry this bag another mile. I want you to shock that person with your response so that they look at you and they think, what is up with them? Why would they do that? And Jesus here is talking to people who are being forced to do something that they don't want to do. And that they won't get paid to do. And when we take this and think about our 21st century workplaces, when we think about the way that we work with our neighbors or in our families and with the people that we help out, there is amazing and challenging application here. Whatever they ask you to do, do more. Even if what they're asking you to do doesn't seem fair in the first place. Shock them by going beyond the minimum requirement. And it might be that because you always go above and beyond, it might be because of that work ethic and the way that you approach things, that you get a pay rise and you get recognition and you get a promotion or you get your neighbor comes along and buys you a gift to say thank you and says what an amazing person you are. But ultimately for Jesus, it's about more than that. Because Jesus wants to work through you to get the attention of the people that you work with. For the attitude that you have, for the way that you work to be so shocking, to be so different, that it causes them to start to ask questions and gives you an opportunity to point them to Jesus. That's challenging, isn't it? So as we begin to try and think about how we can approach our work with wisdom, to skillfully live God's way, we're warned against being lazy. And we're warned against being too driven. But we're also given a fresh vision about what work is really all about. That in whatever work we do, in whatever calling God has on our lives, in whatever sphere he might have put us, that we have an opportunity and we have an amazing purpose that is bigger than ourselves, that our work, that what we pour our lives into matters to God, that it counts for something. Whether it's recognized by our boss or the people around us, or whether our family give one hoot of the fact that we've just cleaned the whole house and no one seems to have battered an eyelid, that we're to work hard and we're to be people of integrity, knowing that our work is an act of worship and our work is an act of mission. To help us to get practical with this, I, um, I want you to think about your work this week, whatever it is that you've got coming up, whatever that looks like, to think about the purpose that God has for you, what it is that you are going to pour so many hours of your life into. 
And, and if you're not sure what that is, then let me encourage you, seize this morning as an opportunity to ask God what work it is that he has for you, what purpose he has for you in this season of life. Because in every stage of life, from being a child in school through to our final days in retirement, God has work and purpose for us. And then as you think about your work, as you think about what it is that you've got coming up, I want you to think about the next time that you find yourself tempted to waste time on Facebook or doing online shopping during your work hours. Or the next time that your children are driving you crazy and causing you to want to pull your hair out. Or the next time that the washing up or the housework just seems overwhelming and like it's too much. The next time that you look at your work and you think, what's the point? Why am I bothering with this? Am I really achieving anything? Is it really worth it for how much it difficult it is and the cost that it is and the arguments that I have and the conflict that's there? And in that moment, when you face those kind of moments this week, because we're all going to face things like that, I want you to say this to yourself, and it's going to pop up on the screen behind me. I want us to say it out loud together. There's a number of different slides. So I want you to say this to yourself. Here we go. Jesus is my boss. Go on to the next one. Sorry, Alex. What I do, I do for him. This is my worship. And this is my mission. Can we roll back and do that again, Alex? Thank you. Jesus is my boss. What I do, I do for him. This is my worship. And this is my mission. Fantastic. We're going to come to a time of communion in a moment. And communion is fantastic because it's a great time for us to be able to celebrate and remember what Jesus has done for us. But it's also a great time for us to own our mistakes, to own our failures, and to receive forgiveness, to be washed clean, and for us to commit ourselves in a fresh way to live for Jesus.